I want to talk to you today about a famous mother in the Bible, uh, a woman who had a, a, a dramatic impact on history and a dramatic impact on the nation of Israel. Uh, if you've read the book of Judges, you know that from the beginning to the end, it's kind of like a seesaw. It's kind of a bit like a roller coaster. The, the Israelites will follow God even from the first judge, Othniel, which was a relative of Joshua, from, or of Caleb, sorry. Uh, from the first judge, when they have a strong leader, they seem to obey the Lord. They follow him. They worship him alone. But when that leader goes away, and so they had something called judges in Israel. So it wasn't a king, it wasn't a, a president or a prime minister. This judge would just basically uh, lead the people. Uh, it was mainly a theocracy. Their, 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 their goal was to listen to the voice of God. But the judge would hear from the Lord. The judge would use that godly wisdom to judge between the people and, and to, to decide which way to go and settle matters. And so they had, a, they had judges throughout their history. And often when one of those strong leaders would die, eventually the Israelites would go back to falling away from God. They would, they would worship other gods uh, that their neighbors worshiped. Now we know they weren't real gods, they're false gods. So they fell into idolatry. They weren't worshiping the true God. They, they tried to mix their beliefs with other belief systems. And whenever that happened, uh, sure enough, the, the only thing that had been keeping them strong as a nation, the only thing that had been keeping them protected as a nation was the hand of God. And so when they withdrew from God and said, we don't want your hand, then sure enough, what happened is that often they'd fall under oppression, they'd be attacked. Uh, it's just, it was just a, a, a direct result of them saying, God, we don't need you. And they got what they asked for. And then after a while of that just being totally crummy, they would call out to God again. They would say, Lord, we were wrong. You know, God, we need you. Hear our prayers, hear our cry. And God, patient as he was, forgiving as he was, loving as he was, would always send them a deliverer would send them somebody to rescue them and to bring them out of bondage again and, and, and bring them back to a place where they were free and they were independent. And then the cycle would just keep continuing. It's like they never really learned the, la the, the, the lessons of their ancestors. They never really learned the lessons of their parents. One of those judges was a woman named Deborah. And Deborah was a, a prophetess. She, she heard from God, she spoke the word of the Lord, and she became a judge over the people of Israel, became trusted, became somebody that would lead them. And uh, at the time, they were under uh, you know, 20 years of oppression by the Canaanites, by a king named Yabin. And they were being cruelly oppressed. I mean, it was not a fun time to be in Israel at that time. In fact, the scripture tells us uh, in the song of Deborah and Barak that, that, that during this season, uh, people wouldn't even want to walk many of those roads People wouldn't want to walk on the main roads because they were too dangerous, that, 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 that it wasn't safe for your kids, that things were, were not going well at all. And so then at a certain point, uh, the Bible tells us that Deborah tells the people of God, you know, God's going to deliver you and, he, and he's going to do it. We need to rise up. And uh, what the backstory of this is interesting because it tells us in Judges chapter 4 that the Canaanite army had 900 iron chariots. Now, I don't know if you know much about ancient, ancient history, but uh, chariots were the tank of the day. And iron chariots, that's advanced technology for that time. That's advanced military tech way more advanced than what the Israelites had. In fact, the Bible goes out of, the, out of its way to tell us 
that the Israelites didn't have any, like people didn't have shields or spears. Like they, they were peasants. They, they weren't prepared for war. They, many of their, their uh, weaponry had been taken from them or it just didn't exist at all. And so they're not ready. They can't fight these people off. And they have 900 chariots. That, that, that's a cavalry that's going to just overwhelm any army. They're going to mow right through you. It's, it's like sending infantry against tanks. You're not going to survive that. And so how are you going to beat these guys? And, and, and God raised up a man named Barak to serve under Deborah. And he came and Deborah said, God's going to give you the victory. You lead the army. And Barak says to her, he goes, I, I, I don't think I can. I'm not going without you. I mean, you need to come. I'm only doing it if you're doing it. And so Deborah said, fine, I'll go with you. But now God's going to give the glory to a woman. And God used Deborah and another woman named Jael uh, to, to deliver uh, Israel from their oppressors. And he used Barak uh, as, as a military leader. And so what happened was when they finally went to battle, the Canaanites, I'm sure, were incredulous. They, they, they probably thought this was insane for the Israelites to rise up and think they had a shot. But the Bible tells us that, that God, uh, Deborah told the people, this is what's going to happen. God's going to draw their army down to this river. And in this river is, is, a, is in an area that's a wadi. So it's, it's uh, flooded in the springtime and then it dries up. You know, it'll dry up quite a bit in, in, in the other parts of the year, especially in the summer and the fall. And so, you know, this, this isn't a mighty river at certain times of the year. But the, the Canaanites brought their chariots and they brought their chariots to fight. And when they did, the Bible tells us that God sent a torrential rainfall, a huge rain, and it flooded the valley, it flooded the riverbed. And so all these chariots that were the big advantage, you know, they were the, the, the power force of these Canaanites, this is what gave them the edge. Now all, their asset had become a liability because now these chariots that were supposed to help them mow through the Israelites got mired down in the mud, got stuck, and they, they were useless. Not only useless, they were more of a hindrance than anything. Because isn't it amazing that God can do that? God can take the enemy's greatest asset and turn it to his greatest liability. God turned this complete situation around. So much so that the commander, the general, Sisera, of the, of the enemy army, ran, jumped out of its chariot and ran away and ended up taking refuge in this woman's tent. This tent, she said, come on to my tent, have a sleep, you look tired. And in the middle of the night, she took care of him. She, she, she dealt him a blow he never recovered from. She took care of that enemy general, and that was the end of his story. And all of this, God brought out of nothing. God brought this victory seemingly out of nowhere because somebody rose up and said, God can do this. Somebody finally rose up and said, God can do this. The truth was they couldn't. They were not prepared for this battle. They were no match for the enemy, but God was. And God did what they couldn't do. After this battle, they wrote a song. Deborah and Barak, Barak being the general, Deborah being the judge, the leader, they wrote a song and they sang this song. And I want to read some of that to you in Judges chapter 5. Judges 5, verse 1, Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, That the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, or literally translated, I will sing praise to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from the seer, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. 
The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, this Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were deserted and, and travelers went by roundabout ways. She said it wasn't safe to travel through Israel. You went around Israel because it had been so oppressed. It was so dangerous. But then she says, the peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel, wiped out a whole class of people until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My, hearts go up, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, the volunteers among the people. Bless the Lord, you who ride on the white donkeys, you who sit on the rich carpets, and you who travel on the road, sing. There's a reason you can do that. What she's saying is there's a reason you can now travel this road. There's a reason you can have your nice carpets and your white donkeys. You need to sing because God did this. He says, at the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord, the righteous deeds for his peasantry in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. I want you to hear those words. She said, Everything was going down the drain. Life as we knew it was disappearing. It was dangerous. It was Israel was being oppressed and crushed and destroyed. Until I arose, she said. I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. Now to you, that may sound like she's bragging. To you, it might sound like she's singing her own praise. But if you read this song through, she's not praising herself. She's praising God. And what she's saying is, is that God stirred me. He stirred my heart. And then when I arose, I sang. I arose, I spoke. When I woke up, I said, awake to the general. I said, awake to the people. And the people woke up. I want you to know today that God desires to wake up the hearts of the mothers and fathers amongst us. There is a generation that's not done yet. There's a generation, more than one generation, that thinks that their voice has ceased, that they, they don't have anything to say, but God is waking you up to care about the things that really matter and to have a heart for your people. This is what happened to Deborah. You know, she could have easily said, I arose a queen, I arose a warrior, I arose a prophetess, I arose a leader. But the words she chooses by the inspiration of God are very important. She says, until I arose a mother in Israel. Why is that important? Why is it important that she uses the word mother? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about her kids. We don't, we don't know that she had kids. I assume she did, but we don't know. And certainly she's not a mother just because she, even if she did have kids, that's not what she's talking about, a mother to those children. She's talking about a mother in a bigger sense, a mother in Israel, someone who is going to stand up and care for the people and say, I'm not okay with what's happening to you. I, I care for more than just my immediate family. I care for this nation. She said, I arose a mother in Israel, because there's something about mothers and fathers. There is a bond that you have. There's something in your heart that stirs. You say, it's not okay that this is happening to my kids. It's not okay that it's happening to the neighbor kids. This is God. God stirs something in you to fight and to stand up and to intercede. 
and to awake and to arise and to sing. That's exactly what Deborah did. She said, until I arose. This is interesting. She didn't say until I was born. She didn't say until I got my shot, like my, my chance, until I got my chance to shine, until God did that. No, she says until I arose. God did something in her heart that caused her to arise and say, somebody's got to speak. Somebody's got to sing. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to wake up these people around me. That's what God did. I want you to see something. One of the results of her arising, look what happens. She says, awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. And because she awoke and sang, there was, there was something about that song of deliverance. There was something about that song uniting the people. Something about her saying, come on, everybody, come on, that woke other people up to. You know, it only takes one to wake up before everyone's awake. I mean, have you ever, you ever been, at, I mean, I remember youth camp. We used, to, uh, um, we used to actually camp at youth camp, you know. When I was a teenager, we didn't have cabins. We didn't have a fancy resort. We had tents, right? And some of the tents were straight up uh, uh, military surplus tents where you chop down a log, you put it in the middle as a, as a pole, and you drape the tent around it. I mean, that's what we had. And so, you know, uh, when, when someone would wake up in that tent, if you weren't quiet, you'd wake up the whole camp because those walls are thin, right? This is just tent canvas, you know? And so, uh, you know, there was a time when that first person would wake up that they had to be very quiet, but there was a time when everyone should wake up. And it only takes one person to wake up before the whole camp quickly is woken up. Because one person that's waking up and saying, come on guys, it's time to get up, it's time to arise. That one person can wake up everyone very quickly. Because De Deborah awoke. Something happened when she woke up. She sang, she spoke, other people woke up. She said, arise, and awake and arise, Barak. There was this, this man, this general Barak, he, he gets mentioned not only in the Old Testament, he actually gets mentioned even in the New Testament as a man of faith, as a man of God. He's a hero in history. But if you read the story, he wasn't going to do anything. He was afraid. It took somebody saying to him, I see something in you. God can do this through you. You can do this through him. Come on, Barak, wake up. There's something in you. God, do we need that now? Do we need fathers and mothers that will see what God is doing and say, come on, next generation, come on, young ones, come on, people around, let's not give up, let's push forward. There's a time to arise. And I want you to see what happened when she woke up and sang on that day, when she woke up and began to speak, when she arose, it said that the leaders led in Israel and that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. That the leaders led and the people volunteered. You see, that's that's really how it's supposed to work, is that when God's people are awake, they start to move. Leaders lead again. People volunteer again. You know, what happens when we lose sight of the vision that God's put in front of us, when we lose sight of hope, when we lose sight of our faith, when we lose sight of the very thing that motivated us to start with, is that we fall back into slumber. And, and, and slumber is, is maybe not what you think it is. Sometimes somebody who is asleep in this sense, is working hard at their job. Their, 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 their kids are in a hundred different activities. You know, they're busy, but they're not busy about what God called them to. They're, they're not awake to it, and so they've fallen back into a slumber. Something happened when she made the decision to arise. Other people did too. 
The leaders led and the people volunteered. And she says, bless the Lord. Credit to God. God did that. You know, it wasn't one person that defeated that army. It wasn't, what, wasn't two people that made it happen. It was God that made it happen, but he used a bunch of people. And she actually says, these aren't trained soldiers. These aren't people that were trained in battle or equipped for it. God used them. What would happen if we had some mothers that would rise up and begin to say, come on, guys, you can do this. Come on, let's not lose sight of the vision. They would begin to intercede in prayer. Now, I'm saying what would happen, but I already know what would happen because these mothers are arising already. I know, I know men and women both who have given themselves to intercession, who have given themselves to encouraging the ones around them. You know, there's something about mothers and fathers. I mentioned this earlier. Mothers and fathers, the reason this language is used, God uses the language of family so much in the Bible. He, he could use other words, but he loves using the language of family. Number one, because family is of God. Family is God, not just God's idea, it's his nature. You have to understand that. God did not invent family for this planet. Family was already a part of who he was. And so God sees everything through that lens. And there's a reason that the enemy wants to destroy families. You can see it throughout the Bible. You can see it throughout history. You can see it right now. The enemy is out for families. He wants to destroy that relationship, destroy that connection. Because when he does, he is hitting at the very heart of what God has has ordained, of who God is. God is a God of family. Notice this, when you're not family with someone, when you're not related, when you have no connection to them, sometimes it's easy to disconnect from people, disconnect from the people around you, and, and just say, well, you know what? It's none of my business. If they fall, they fall. If they drown, they drown. I'm not talking about someone literally drowning because most of us would jump in and try to help them. But isn't it funny that you'll, you'll go that extra mile for your kids. You'll go that extra mile for your parents. You'll go that extra mile for your brother or sister. You'll be there when no one else is. It's no coincidence that God invites you to the family of God, that he gave you the right, John 1 says, to be called the children of God. It's no coincidence that Jesus describes God, the Father, as the Father. He could have called him the king. He could have called him the emperor. He could have called him the master. In fact, he does use words like king and master, but more than anything, the relationship he emphasizes above all, and at the end of his ministry said, this is what I came to show you. This is what I came to manifest was God as father. See, father and mother, these are are names that carry ownership. They're names that carry uh, a deep connection. If I can call you father, I, I, there's a part of me that says, I, I, you and me, we're connected on a different level. If I can call you mother, there's something deep about that. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I want you to, I want you to treat these older women like mothers. I want you to treat the older men like fathers. I want, to treat, I want you to treat these younger women like sisters. He, he says, he, you know, he changes the language. You're not just their boss. You're not just their leader. You're not just their, you know, the, the person they're listening to, their preacher. You're a family now. You're part of a family now. And when family gets involved, when God brings back family, Whole communities are restored. Cities are restored. Nations are restored. God is restoring what was stolen. In fact, one of the the last thing that's said in the Old Testament, the last thing that's said in the Old Testament is that God promises, I will send Elijah. 
I'm going to send that spirit of Elijah and he's going to turn people back to God. And he says he's going to reunite the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Later on in Luke, in fact, let me turn there and read it to you. Uh, we find out, now I say later on, but this is actually chronologically like one of the first things that happens in the New Testament. It happens before Jesus is born. It happens before Mary and Joseph get the word that they're going to have a kid. This is one of the, this is the first thing that happens is an angel speaks to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. And here's what he says in, in Luke chapter one and verse 17. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, him being Jesus. So he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist will go as a forerunner in front of Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Listen to that. It's not Elijah physically, but he's coming in the same spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, when you read this, you might say, well, he's just talking about dads. He's just talking about men. But I don't believe he is because earlier in that same chapter, he says he's going to turn the sons of Israel back to God. Well, when you hear the sons of Israel, you don't think he's just talking about the males, do you? You know he's talking about the children of Israel, the people of Israel. I believe the same thing. Yes, I believe he, he chose that word on purpose. Absolutely, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers. But I believe this is fathers and mothers together. He's going to turn the hearts of, a previ- of an older generation back to that younger generation and the younger generation back to the older. In our day, one of the things the enemy would like to do, one of the things Satan himself would like to do is to divide the young and the old, to divide them, divide them in churches, divide them in society, to keep them opposed against each other. One of the things God wants to do, in fact, one of the main things he did to prepare the way for Jesus is to reunite those generations, to turn, listen, turn their hearts back to one another. You see, when your heart is turned towards someone, that's a family connection. That's, that's a deeper love. That's a care that you have for them. Jesus, the Bible talks about him turning to somebody and, and being moved with compassion. He, his heart was towards these people. And because his heart was toward them, he did something. He moved on their behalf. He was not passive. He was active. When your heart is turned back to these, your kids, that you care, you'll do anything. You're not just going to let them go. You see that what God says is that's been the plan of the enemies to divide. We see it today so clearly in our society. In fact, Jesus said that's what would happen. He said, in the last days, the hearts of many people would grow cold. He said, brothers will betray one another. In another place, he says that fathers are gonna turn in their kids and, and kids are gonna turn against their fathers. One of the, one of the scriptures says that, that one of the, the signs of the last days is that, is that kids would be disobedient to their parents and uh, dishonoring. It's interesting that he says that'll be a sign that this is happening. This is going to be the way the world is turning, that fathers and mothers will disconnect from their kids and kids will disconnect from their parents, that there won't be honor between them. So often when we talk about honor and and talk about the lack of honor in our society, so often we, we, we tend to think of the other group. You guys should honor me more. Why don't you honor us? You're not showing us honor. You're not respecting us. But the Bible doesn't, doesn't really make it just one way. He, sure enough, the, the, one of the main Ten Commandments is, is that you should honor your father and mother. But it's interesting that he treats honor as a thing that goes in all directions. And this is important. He's turning hearts back. What happens when your heart is turned? 
For Deborah, she saw herself as a mother to a nation. You see, a mother will act differently. A mother will defend the children. A mother will stand up. A mother will fight. She didn't see herself as disconnected, like, that's not my problem. You know, when you read the Bible, God compares, he calls himself father over and over again. He compares himself to a mother several times, a nursing mother. Uh, uh, He talks about a mother that gave birth. He's like a mother. He says, could a nursing mother forget uh, the child she nursed? Could could she forget the, 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 the baby that came from her womb? He said, in the same way, I can't forget you. One of his names even means, basically implies one that would nurse you, feed you with their own breasts. God identifies with fathers and mothers because it all came from him. Everything good that a father has, everything good that a mother has, that came from God. Every mothering quality that's good in nature and in humanity, every good fathering quality that's in nature and humanity, that came from God. And so God is turning hearts again. He's awakening hearts. And when those hearts are awakened, leaders lead, volunteers volunteer, people step up because their hearts are awake again. Their hearts are turned back again. See, there's been a crooked path that society has gone down and it's not new. It's not new to the millennial generation. It's not new to this uh, century or this millennium. It's, it's, It's throughout history. And it's a crooked path that we're led down that destroys what God has built, destroys families. We withdraw and we just take care of our own. And maybe you say, I'm a real big family person. I love my family. I take care of my family. But if your family is the only family you care about, maybe you're missing the point. You should care about your family. But you've been brought into a bigger family. If Deborah had just cared about her kids, she wouldn't have stood up for the nation. But she saw herself as a mother to those who didn't have a mother. She saw herself as a mother to a whole nation. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't have any kids. He was, he was a man throughout his time, at least in the New Testament. We don't know what happened before he came to Jesus, but we know uh, from the time he's recorded in the Bible, he is not married, he doesn't have kids. But here's how he talks. Listen to this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says uh, uh, regarding the, the church, the Thessalonian church that he's an apostle over. He talks about his love for them. He talks about how he didn't come like some of those fake apostles that just came to exert power and control. He says in uh, this First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our own authority. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. Listen, if you're just working a job, like if ministry is a job, I will tell you this as a pastor, and I learned this from my elders as well. If you're pastoring to have a job, you're not gonna enjoy that job. It is not a good job. It's not meant to be a job. It's a call. You know, it's something you, you do because the Lord's called you. And it's like that with every ministry. You can't see it as, well, this is a job. This is a paycheck. No, it's not. You gotta be willing to do it whether you get a paycheck or not. 
In fact, most of us in ministry started out doing a full-time job while doing this because it wasn't about a paycheck, it was about a ministry. And Paul is not talking like somebody who's just a, a preacher passing through. He, he says, I was like a mother to you. We were like a mother to you. And he says, you become very dear to us. We imparted our own lives. Now, what kind of language is that? We imparted our own lives. That's the language of a parent. That's the language of a parent. We'll, would, would we be able to believe that Paul allowed God to give him the same affection for these people as a parent would have for their child, as a mother would have for her child? He goes, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There, Notice he says, we were like a mother to you. Then he says, he calls them brothers. He calls them brothers and sisters. We were brethren to you. Then he says, we were like a father to you. We, we encouraged you, exhorted you, implored you as a father with his children. He's using the language of family because that's what God does. God knits your heart with people. God, if you'll allow him, he'll awaken your heart so you don't just see yourself as a passerby in people's lives, as a colleague. You'll see yourselves as family. I want you to know today, fathers and mothers, mothers on this Mother's Day, hear this. I'm asking you to wake up as mothers and fathers and to see beyond your own immediate family, and see beyond your household, and see that there are people that need mothers and fathers right now. There are people that need someone to step into their life and say, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you. I will be there for you. They're going to need some people that don't just take care of their own, but see that God has a larger sphere for you to step into. It's time for you to wake up and arise and say, I, I, it's, I, I'm going to take responsibility for the ones God's put in my life, for the ones God's put in my sphere. I'm not just going to say my job is done or nobody cares what I have to say. Yes, we do. We need you. We need you, mothers and fathers. We need you in this season. Kids, young ones, we need you. You notice that the mothers and fathers aren't supposed to do this by themselves. In fact, John writes and says, I'm writing to you fathers, uh, older ones, fathers and mothers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. You're, I, you've overcome the evil one. You're, you know him who's from the beginning. He says, but I'm writing to you young ones because you've overcome the evil one. You're strong. You're strong and you've overcome. We need that strength of youth and we need that wisdom of, of, of the elders. We need them to come together. God's purpose is to reunite family because he is a God of family. And isn't that how Jesus walked the earth with the love and the heart of the Father? You know, there was a, a moment where he was in, amongst religious people on the Sabbath. And according to their law, you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. Now, that was God's law in order to give them rest, but they took it to a hyper degree where they weren't allowed to do anything that resembled work, even when it would have made their lives easier. Ironically, they worked harder to not work than they would if they had just done the things like, you know, uh, um, be able to, to, to pick this, be able to do this so that they could have a true Sabbath. But they turned the, the idea of Sabbath, instead of its original purpose, they lost its purpose and turned it into one big day of rules. And Jesus sees a man who has dropsy. 
And dropsy is a condition where, or high dropsy, we, we might call it today. Uh, it's a condition where your body is retaining a great amount of fluid and your, your joints get so swollen in your legs, your arms, you get so swollen that your joints can't move at all. It's very painful. This man, we can infer from the scripture, it seems like he's, he's got a pretty bad case of it. Jesus looks at this man, he turns. He's already gotten in trouble before for healing people on the Sabbath because, I mean, ridiculously, they saw that as work. They saw it as work and they condemned Jesus for it. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. That's work. And Jesus is saying the Sabbath was made for people. What in the world are you doing? And he says this to them. I want you to hear it. He goes, which of you, if your son fell into a well? He says, even if your ox did. I mean, come on, you'd even do this for one of your animals. But he puts the son first. He says, if your son fell into a well, wouldn't you want to get him out? Even if it was the Sabbath, you'd, you'd pull him out of the well. He said, shouldn't I heal this man? And he stretched out his hand and he healed that man. And that man's condition was miraculously healed that day. Jesus said, you're not seeing it like I'm seeing it. You've disconnected your heart from this man. You've disconnected because you, you, don't, you don't think he's your problem. You don't think he's your, he's your family. You don't, you're not connected to him like I am. I see him with the love of the Father. I'm looking at him like the heart of the Father and I'm seeing a son that fell into a well. I'm seeing somebody that, that's, that's being hurt, being oppressed. And he said, all I want to do is pull him out. I don't care what day of the week it is. It's my job to pull him out. Jesus was not dishonoring the Sabbath. He was honoring and fulfilling the Sabbath. But that's the heart he had. You know, the scripture says he was moved with compassion. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus healed all those people, and it says he was moved with compassion. Do you think he was just doing that to prove he had power? Or do you think he was doing that because that was God's heart? I think he was doing it because it was God's heart. Listen, if he wanted, I've said this before, but if he wanted to prove he had power, he could have killed just as many people as he healed. He could have given people leprosy. He could have knocked mountains into the sea, but instead he proves who he is, not just by the power of God, but by the nature of God. Just like God said to John the Baptist, or about John the Baptist, he's going to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Jesus walked in the spirit and the power of God. And God's heart is for his kids. God saw this man as a son. You act differently when it's your son. What if we went through Lloyd Minster? What if we went through whatever city you're from, and you looked around and you saw sons and daughters that hadn't come to know they were sons and daughters yet. You saw people as God's kids. You saw them as your brothers. What if you mothers and fathers walked around and said, these are kids that, that God loves and I love them too. Now I'm willing to impart my life, even if it's just one. Even if it's just one person I can, I can help, I'm gonna impart my life because God gave his life for me. Deborah said, highways weren't safe. Middle class, you know, had, had ceased. Peasantry had ceased. All of this, it was dangerous. We were oppressed until I arose, Deborah, until I arose a mother in Israel. So I say to you, mothers and fathers, arise. God is using his spirit and his power to turn hearts back again. Hearts back to him. 
but hearts of the parents to the to kids, hearts of the older generation to the younger generation. I know you think you've got nothing in common. I know that the causes you love, they don't love. And the causes they love, you don't love. So let's, re- let's unite around the cause we do agree on. It's the cause of Christ. It's the cause of the kingdom. So mothers and fathers, we give your hearts, will you arise and say, I'm willing to fight for this next generation. Don't give up on them. Stop looking down on them. Stop, stop saying, I don't get it. Don't, don't worry if you don't get it. God will help you give understanding. God will help you speak to them in a language they get. I'm not talking about pretending to be cool. Please don't try that. I'm talking about really, really being, building bridges and saying, I care about you. That You see, love is a language that speaks. That care and compassion are language that speaks. The power of God is a language that speaks. You don't have to try to learn hip language because by the time you learn it, trust me, it'll be way out of style. I mean, it will go out of style just because you used it. Trust me. Don't try to use their apps. Don't try to use their language, but love them. And younger generation, don't dishonor your fathers and mothers. You don't know where they've been. You don't know what they fought for. And sometimes we just throw them away. You just throw them away because you say they don't get it. They're, they're out of date. They're out of style. But they've learned some things. They've walked through some things. And if you'll honor them, if you'll respect what that is, God will honor you. But God will not honor dishonor. He will not honor rebellion. And so the, the world has a spirit of rebellion. God is not giving you that spirit. He's giving you a spirit of honor. Even when you disagree, even when you think they're wrong, you can still show them honor. Honor them. Listen to them. There's wisdom you can have. We don't need to keep starting over every generation. God wants to take the, the best fathers and mothers want their kids to go further. Fathers and mothers want their kids to stand on their shoulders and go higher. And so what you need to do is you need to be willing to learn from their wisdom that they learn from their mistakes and say, I'm going to start further along because I was willing to listen. I was willing to learn. Let your heart be turned. If you can hear that today, let your heart be turned. Remember, God said, I'm going to do this in power. The power of God is here in our church, in the church at large, to begin to turn hearts again. Hearts of the older to the younger, the younger to the older. It's a spirit and the power of God is here to wake people up again, awaken you to say, I care. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to give up. If your kids have fallen away from the Lord or if they they just don't want to hear a thing you have to say don't give up the power of intercession the power of somebody that's still loving and just like that father that Jesus talked about that waited on the road for a son to return that's what God has given you awake and arise sing your song we need it today I want to pray today that God would do exactly that would you receive that today if you've lost hope for your kids. Kids, if you've lost hope for your parents. You know, some people say, I, I, you talk about fathers and mothers, but I didn't have a good father. I didn't have a good mother. I didn't have one that was present. God says he'll be that to you. And in fact, God also says there, he's going to bring you into family. The scripture says he brings the single, or in, in some translations, the lonely, the ones who are alone. He brings them into family. I've seen it over and over again. God will bring fathers into people's lives. God will bring mothers into people's lives that didn't have that good parent. They didn't have those good parents growing up. God brings them into family. God surrounds them with people that fill those gaps. So maybe you're called to fill that gap for somebody. Maybe you're called to open up your heart to let someone step in and help you in that area. Let's ask God to do it.
Father, I thank you that you've called mothers and fathers. You've called sons and daughters. You've called brothers and sisters. You've called us to family, your family. And no family is perfect, but you're perfect. So you're perfecting your family. You're changing us from glory to glory. You are healing old scars and wounds. You're healing old, uh, those, those, those damaged places in us that, that we've never quite healed from. And so we've never allowed those relationships to develop because there's scars there, there's hurt there. You're healing it and restoring it. And I thank you for it. God, may your work take place among us. Lord, I, we just don't want to just talk about it. We want to be about it. We want to see it happen. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to give your life to Jesus, today is your day. God is calling you back to Him. God, Jesus came to reconcile you to the Father. The only thing separating you from the Father God was your own sin, just like my sin. Every person on the planet had sin that separated them from God. It was a problem of humanity. But Jesus took your sin. He died for you. He died in your place. And then He rose again on the third day, glorious, victorious, and He's alive today. And if you'll give your life to Him, you'll be brought back into the family of God. He'll give you a right to be called a son or a daughter of the King. I urge you today, don't wait another second. Take your chance. Seize this opportunity in Jesus' name. If you're that person then, and you're on our online church platform, hit request prayer right now and someone's going to pray with you. If you are on Facebook, reach out to us, send us a message. We want to get in touch with you. We don't want you just to stay at home and, and try to figure it out. We want to connect you with people, connect you with family that wants to help you with this journey and say, help you in this great beginning. So we're here for you. Guys, if you want to give today, this is what God's waking us up. Listen, it said that the people, when God woke people up, the people volunteered and the leaders led. You know, we give with our time, we give with our, with our resources and our finances, we give with our hearts and our energy. God has called us to give, but you know what? He gives most. He's the one that always gives more. He, you can't outgive God is what I learned growing up. And so I want you to know today that as we give, let's do it with a heart that's fully trusting in God, fully abandoned to God and say, God, use this for your kingdom and your glory. And I trust you, Father, you're going to take care of my needs because you're my Father and you take care of me. You care for me. So I'm casting my care. I'm casting my anxiety onto you, all my worry, all my fears. I'm putting it on you. You care for me. And I'm going to devote myself to your cause. If you want to give today, go to thewordchurch.ca slash give. Finally, friends, thank you for giving into our, mother, our, our, our offering for single moms. We had a great result. Um, and we were so thankful. We had uh, enough, in fact, more than enough because we were able to give to a, uh, some, a couple other families that needed it. And so just thank you guys. We are so thankful uh, that we were able to make this Mother's Day God was able to make this Mother's Day a little bit uh, more uh, just relaxed for some of these mothers who didn't know. You know, some of them didn't, you know, might have been struggling with their groceries or struggling with knowing how to, how to put food on the table or pay the bills. You played a part in that. So I'm thankful for you. I want to thank you for doing that. If you want to register for next week's service, go to thewordchurch.ca slash register. We'd love to see you there on Sunday morning. God bless you. Have a great week. Happy Mother's Day.